0: Many of you know what um, an austereogram is? Anybody know what an austereogram is? It's not, a, it's not a test on your heart or anything like that. Uh, this is a picture of an austereogram. It looks like, well I, I won't be able to say what it looks like in public, but uh, it just looks like a mess, right? Uh, if, you, if you've ever seen one of these, it's one of those pictures that's highly epixelated. And so what's supposed to happen is you stare at it. And the longer you stare at it, you see the picture behind the picture. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't you know I'm not crazy? Okay. Uh, I remember when I first saw one of those, uh, like probably 20 years ago, we were out walking somewhere in all the shops, and there was one on a pedestal, you know, right out in front of the, um, on an easel, right out in front of a store. And, and I guess because they knew that there were people like me that that makes no sense to, they put a little string on it. You ever seen that? And you're supposed to pull the string to your nose, and you stare down the string line. How many of you have done this? How many, come on you You stare down the string line and somehow staring at that string is supposed to help you down the line see the picture beneath the picture now I don't know what uh, genes that you need to be able to do that but I was not at the gene store when they handed those out and so I would stare at it, like, oh it's a dinosaur you know or it's this or it's a butterfly and I would look at that dumb thing and say what do you see? I see a string on the end of my nose and I look like an idiot standing out on the street with cars growing by, honking at the guy with a string on his nose. So I never could get it, but uh, in, in case you could kind of make this out, this is what was behind there, if you couldn't see it. If you guessed the shark, you got it. If you didn't, you got the same genetics that I do. But here's what happens. Uh, these pictures remind me that there's a way to look at something and not really see it. There's a way to look at something but not see it. Do you think that ever happens with Jesus? We look at Him, but we don't really see Him. We look at His life. We read the Bible. We come to church. We look at other Christians. We look into our own lives. We look at Jesus, but we don't really see Him. That's what this whole Easter series starting today through Easter is going to be about. It's gonna, we're going to be talking about uh, seeing Jesus. What would it be like for you and I to really see, not what people say about him, not our perception of him, but to really see the real him? Now, Jesus was a um, Jewish man, Middle Eastern, most likely olive skin like his neighbors, uh, had a beard. We know these things from Scripture. But we don't really know what he looked like. You may have caught the story a few Christmases ago. A man in Nashville reported a miracle that occurred in his front porch it made national news so it wasn't just in the south it seems that every night when the old guy would turn his porch light on a silhouette face would appear across the front of his house that was a a miracle he told the reporter it was definitely a miracle every night he'd go flip the light on and there was a silhouette the only thing is he couldn't tell if it was Jesus or Willie Nelson that was the (laughs) dilemma but there was a picture there I think it's a good thing we don't have an actual picture of Jesus because I'm pretty sure if we did, some people would be worshiping it. You know, this is, the, this is him. Uh, for 2,000 years, there's been plenty of different uh, guesses on what Jesus looked like. Here's some pictures that you, some of those you may recognize, some of those you might not recognize. But here's some uh, guesses that people have drawn as to what Jesus might have looked like but the truth is, we really don't know what he looked like, and this series isn't about seeing Jesus physically. This series is about what it means to see Jesus for who he is. When I was in uh, college, a, a group of friends and I went to a, um, there was going to be this, this heavy, kind of heavy metal, drug fest rock concert, and uh, we decided that God wanted us to go to this concert and witness So we went to this concert, we fasted and prayed for three days, and we went to this concert, and a bunch of other people from our school did at the same time, uh, about a hundred, and a big ruckus kind of kicked up on um, that camp, that grounds, that convention center grounds, and the police started kicking all the Christians out, because there was sort of a conflict rising. And so a friend and I, who really weren't part of the larger group, we were kind of a smaller group on our own, we didn't know what to do, so we went and sat in a car, and went, what are we gonna do? We looked and said, what are going gonna—I don't know." So we just started to pray, and we were there praying in the car. And as we were praying, this carload of rowdies drove right beside us and pulled the car up and got out. And they're drinking, and you know, they're 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 wasted, and they're cursing. And somehow or another, they had gotten word that Christians had come to their concert to kind of ruin their party, and all of that—that that was their view. And so they just start cursing, and you know. Uh, bashing Christians and the Bible and God and you know these people who do they think they are Bible thumpers and they out here this, they out here that and my friend looks at me and he says that's what we're supposed to do and I went are you sure that's what we're supposed to do (laughs) like bro we get out of the car there's like eight of them and there's two of us and neither of us are big I mean I'm like are you sure? he said man that's it and he got out what am I going to do? He's got the keys. He's a driver. when I going to lock myself in and watch him be beat to death. So I, I got out with him. There we are. And I thought, Jesus, <laughs> you got to do something. We're out here on thin ice. And they're just, and, and so he walked up and I'm with him. We start talking, hey, how's it going? And you know, and they don't even register, really, that there's a difference between us. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're dressed casually, but I mean, there's just an obvious, they don't see nothing. They're just killing it, killing it. And and all I can say to you is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when they were bashing Christians and how Christians and all this stuff, my friend looks at them and says, Yeah, but you know, you could never see Jesus acting that way, could you? And I'm telling you, it was like all six or eight of them sobered. And they stopped laughing and they stopped cursing. And they looked at him and they went, Yeah, yeah, I really couldn't see Jesus acting that way. And in that moment, they got a true picture of the real Jesus. A true picture of the real Jesus. Non-Christians have misconceptions about Jesus. Because sometimes the people who follow him Give them, misrepresent them. But I think also believers sometimes have misperceptions about Jesus. In Jesus' day, the most religious people of the day had the deepest misunderstandings about who he really was. Every time you and I can move past the Jesus we have made, From our culture and entertainment and politics and religion and denomination and our own bias. And we see the real Jesus. It changes our soul. Something good happens on the inside of us. My prayer for me and you this Easter season is that we get a fresh picture of the real Jesus. Not the one that we've invented. Not the one that we've made. But the real Jesus. Come on. The real Jesus. Isn't that what you want? A clear and a clean picture. In Luke chapter 2, verse 29, uh, usually we look at this part of the Bible around Christmas. But I want us us to see this morning through the eyes of a person who was one of the first people on earth to see Jesus as he really was. Jesus' mother and father had gone to the temple to dedicate dedicate him, and on their way, a man named uh, Simeon, Saw Jesus as he really was. And here's what he said the first time he saw him, Luke 2, 28. Simeon uh, took him in his arms, little baby Jesus, and praised him, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon was now an old man and had waited all his life to see Jesus. He was a searcher. And a seeker. And he was waiting on the promise of God. And when old Simeon saw Jesus, it changed everything. But what grabbed my attention was the last verse in verse 35 that says, So that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. What happens when you get a clear picture of Jesus? The thoughts of your heart are revealed. It opens up the inside of you. See, seeing Jesus does more than just satisfy our intellectual curiosity. Seeing Jesus shines a light in the dark places of our heart. And then our heart is laid open so that God can bring forgiveness and healing and peace inside. I want to say it this way if you want to write this thought down. The better we see Jesus, the better we see ourselves. And the better we see ourselves the more we see our need for Jesus. The better we see Jesus, the better we see ourselves. The better we see ourselves, the more we see our need for Jesus. This is such a, uh, there's such a clear example of this happening in John chapter 4, which is the story I really want to zero in this morning. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, and um, the people who lived in Samaria were looked down upon by the Jews, if you know anything about the history of that time. But Jesus traveled into Samaria on purpose. Most Jews at that time would travel two or three extra days to walk around the country of Samaria when they traveled because they didn't want to taint their feet with with the bad land of Samaria. So there was a lot of prejudice, a lot of religious and ethnic prejudice. So Jesus and his disciples plunged straight in. And they stopped at a well on the outskirts of a Samaritan town. And Jesus sent his disciples into town to buy some food while he waited at the well. A Samaritan woman came out to the well while he was there to draw water. And uh, Jesus was just sitting there. She immediately noticed that he was a Jew. And if you were a Samaritan and went to your town's well to get water and there was a Jew sitting there, immediately you knew something was wrong this isn't the way things are supposed to be so it really threw her off, even more than that Jesus engaged her in conversation now a Jew at that time a a, a Jewish man would never engage a Samaritan in conversation let alone a Samaritan woman so all these cultural and and ethnic and religious prejudices are being uh, violated, so Jesus asked her for a drink of water but then he starts talking about the true thoughts of her heart, watch when you get a fresh picture of Jesus, the true thoughts of your heart are opened. John 4, 13. So Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep tramping down to this well every day and get water. She's just thinking practically. He told her, go tell your, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. Uh, you, when you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. What, what you've just said is quite true. She's getting a clearer picture of Jesus and at the same time she's getting a clearer picture of herself is it possible that you you don't see Jesus exactly as he is is it possible like the Samaritan woman there are parts of your life that Jesus sees that you don't see when I read in the Bible some people, some stories about how people drift from God and settle for so little from God. And I ask, you know, as I read those scriptures, I think, how could they be so blind? How could they drift so far? How do you get that far away from God? Sometimes when I have the opportunity to travel to other countries and I see customs and ways of thinking in other cultures, and I say, how is it that Christians can think that way where does that come from sometimes when I hear modern Christians philosophies of life and, and I wonder how can you think that that is the way a Christian ought to think and live and sometimes when I look deep into my own heart After all these years, I look and I say, how can those philosophies that were in my life way back when I didn't serve God, how do I see them still lingering around in there sometimes? You may be thinking, hey, I might not have a perfect picture of who Jesus is, but I got a better one than her. I hadn't had five husbands or five wives or five whatevers. How could she not see how empty she was? I'm constantly amazed at how unaware we are of our own condition. When uh, we were in Mississippi and Hurricane Katrina struck, and uh, what we were experiencing was unprecedented. The closest parallel anybody could give us was um, downtown New York when the terrorist planes struck, and uh, what was the psychological, emotional, relational, all this aftermath. Uh, of the condition of the people who live there and rebuilt that's the closest parallel anybody could give us and so after after Katrina a church that was a friend of ours did such a kind thing for us they paid a counselor full-time for a week to come into our area and she sat down and met with each one of our staff and each one of our board and anybody in our key leadership who wanted to meet she made herself available for hours and hours and hours of the church, you just schedule a time, and she you could come and have an appointment with her and just kind of unpack what we're going through. The, the divorce rate went through the roof, drug addiction went through the roof, suicide went through the roof, heart attacks went through the roof, strokes went through the roof. The aftermath and the collateral inside your own soul was unbelievable, unprecedented. And as we as we talked to her and she met with each person and all. And so I kind of got to, deep, at the end, you know, I got to ask her, what are you finding, what are you seeing, what do we need to do, <laughs> and, and, and I, I'm kind of bottom line, like, how long is this going to take? Like, how long till we can, you know, get moving? She said, oh, I, I think the people who really lean into Jesus to heal, maybe two or three years, the average, I'm guessing, will be about five. Oh, really? Well, what did you find? Here's what she told me. I'll never forget what she told me. She said, it's amazing to me. This was consistent across everybody I talked to. It was amazing to me how unaware all of you are of the damage that was done inside you and how much it affects your daily life today. And I thought, wait a minute. We live this. We live this seven days a week. We've been in a distribution center, and we've had teams, and we've been reaching out, and and we've been struggling ourselves. Were you kidding me? We're unaware. She says, yes, you're unaware. You, You aren't connecting the dot that the struggles that you're having today are a direct result of everything you've been through. And I thought, wow. You know what I find, though? I find that we tend to drift and settle because we're unaware of how deeply we need Jesus. And our picture of Jesus over time becomes foggy and unclear. And the rule and spiritual condition is you and I are worse off than we think we are. And we need Jesus more than we think we do. And by the way, he's better than we think he is. (laughs) Thank goodness our unawareness goes all the way across. So it's critical this Easter, that you and I get a clear picture of Jesus. Because you and I need him more than we think we do. We're worse off than we think we are. Blind and poor and broken and wrecked and pitiful. We need Jesus in a desperate way. So this morning, if you have something to write with, I just want to give you quickly uh, three misconceptions about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is never around when you need him Jesus is never around when you need him verse 25 the woman said this is the woman at the well she goes i know that messiah is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us what is she thinking i'm waiting on jesus he's not here yet but boy when he gets here it's going to be okay i guess have you ever felt that way When's, when's Jesus going to help me with this? When's Jesus going to do this? When's Jesus going to dot, 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 fill in the blank? When's Jesus going to show up? When's Jesus going to care? When's Jesus going to change us? When's Jesus going to do something? Jesus, when? When? Where are you? I can't find you. I don't hear you. I don't see you. I don't, I don't see anything happening. And what was Jesus' answer to her? In verse 26, he gives her a fresh picture of himself. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. She was looking at him. She just couldn't see him. You think you and I ever look at him and just don't see him? She wasn't waiting on him. He was right there. She was looking right at him. When it comes to issues of the heart, you and I are never waiting on Jesus. He's always waiting on us. And you know what the truth is? He's here today. He's in the room, whether you know it or not. And he's waiting on you. Number two, Jesus requires more than I can do misconception. Verse 20, she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She thought there were conditions that she could not meet. She thought that God required something of her that she was incapable of doing. She was a Samaritan. That's the wrong race. She lived in the wrong country. She wasn't qualified. she had done too many wrong things. I've had five husbands, and now the sixth one is here. Have you ever felt that way? We get all these preconceived notions because our view of Jesus is messed up. Now you'll probably laugh at this, but it was at least real at the time. When uh, my wife and I first uh, married and were thinking about pastoring and all that stuff, we really had a huge dilemma. We didn't know what we were going to do because uh, neither one of us could sing or play a musical instrument. We we might as well pick something else because back when we came through, you either could sing or play a musical instrument or you better find a wife that can (laughs) because that's the only way you're going to make it, right? How many of you remember that? You remember those times? Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll call them good times. I don't know. If you couldn't do that, you weren't called. And can I tell you something? God used our inability to raise up wonderfully gifted people around us who had wonderful ability. And we ended up in our first you know, long-term youth ministry place. We had one of the greatest youth worship teams I've ever heard to this day. About 12 or 15 people in it, multiple instruments, great singers, great worship leaders. Our key, our key worship leader was a teenage guy became sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. You'd be surprised, though, how many of us struggle with feelings of unworthiness. Oh, I didn't go to Bible school. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I grew up without a father. God would never accept me after what I've done. My dad rejected me, and I can't shake the feeling that God is rejecting me. I've hurt people so bad, so how could God love me? It really doesn't matter how you say it or how deep it is. It all equals the same thing. Somehow or another, you and I have this nagging feeling that we just don't measure up because our view of Jesus is wrong. In this lady's case, she was a Samaritan who the Jews believed didn't measure up. What was Jesus' answer to her? In verse 24, he said, Hey! God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. When she saw the real Jesus, what did he say to her? He said, you don't have to go to some mountain in Jerusalem. There's no wrong ethnicity. There's no wrong background. You don't have to be raised in a Christian family. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Worship the real Jesus authentically with all your heart. That's the only requirement. And so all of us are qualified. Everybody can come. Number three. Jesus is not the answer. That's the other misperception. Now nobody would say that out loud. At least at church. And most of us wouldn't think it. But it shows up on a more unconscious and fundamental level it shows up in the way we live maybe you've heard this phrase Christian atheism or practical atheism it's this idea it's the idea if that someone were to ignore everything we said and only watched our actions they would have to believe or conclude that some Christians are actually atheists. In other words, we claim there's a God but live like there's not one. So we make major decisions without prayer. Maybe God's the last place you turn in a crisis. Sexuality and entertainment has the same standard in your life as it does in the world. No generosity, no compassion, independent and self-reliant. Very little time invested in a relationship with God or in His work. In other words, we look in all the other places for the answers to life. We see this in this Samaritan woman in verse 17 and 18. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man you're with now is not your husband, what you've said is quite true. Where had she been looking? She had been looking in relationships. This woman had most likely been wounded deeply in a relationship and just kept looking in the same place for answers. She was going through men like water, and the answers would not come. And she thought the answer must have been, in a relationship somewhere, but when she met Jesus, the real Jesus, what did he say in verse 13? He answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You can keep going through husbands like that if you want to, but you're going to stay thirsty, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What does he say? He's The living water he's offered is for the inner person. This is not the water you drink with your mouth. It's the water you drink with your heart. He was dealing with her on the inside. She was stunned. She had lived her entire life thirsting for relationship for someone who would truly love her, but it had all been useless. She had a history. She had guilts and regrets and fears and wounds and sorrows and secrets. She was a woman with a past. Husband after husband was the well that she would return to and draw water from again and again and again until she saw Jesus and He revealed her heart. And He surfaced what she really wanted and needed. We might not be in the same place that she was relationally, but every one of us knows the empty exercise of returning to a well that does not quench our thirst for some it's like this woman it's marriage looking for the perfect loving relationship one right after another for others it's the well of perfectionism and success to really do something important and make a name for yourself because that's what will satisfy or some go through the well of hiding and isolation or others draw off the well of power and control some draw off the well of addiction Many people in the American culture draw from the well of busyness and entertainment and recreation. But her thirst could never be quenched by the wells of life and neither can ours. What will quench your soul is a fresh, clean, clear revelation of the real Jesus. And nothing else. Jesus has living water And he only has one requirement for you to get it. Go to the right well. That's it. Just go to the right well. Every now and then uh, I hear somebody say, you know, they'll say, Now, pastor, now out here in the real world, you know, out here in the real world, this isn't church, you know, this isn't, Angels' wings flying everywhere, and you know, we don't have time to stand around and just sing worship courses all day. This is the real world. This is, you know, this is work and life and homework, and this is the real world. This is the real world, not the world that you live in, not the church world. You know, I've watched two people who hated each other find forgiveness and see their marriage restored and I've stood on their front porch when their adult children looked me in the eye with tears rolling down their face and saying you'll never know what God has done through the church and my mom and dad you'll never know the peace that we live in now you'll never know we thought there was no hope I've seen people with all kinds of addictions find freedom. I've watched sick people who had diseases that would never go away be cured. I've watched people who had absolutely no hope find hope. I've seen people find their life purpose and calling I've watched parents' and kids' relationships be restored that have been separated for years. I've seen people who attempted suicide find purpose. I've watched angry people find joy. I've watched people controlled by fear find freedom and peace. What's more real than that? The real world is the way that it is because we keep drinking from the wrong well. You drink from the, wrong, the right well, and the real world will change. Yeah. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just find a place you could be still? Look inside a little bit. You close your eyes. Jesus is here. The real Jesus. The real Him. Not the one that we've made. Not the one that we think. But the real Him. And He loves you. And He wants to touch you. I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come this morning. With every eye closed, I want to ask you about your own heart and your own life. Where do you, where do you need, let me say it a different way, where do you recognize your need for Jesus? Because you and I need Him more than we think we do. Where do you recognize your need for Jesus? Do you need forgiveness? With every eye closed, I want to just give you some options. And as I do, if that's what you need, I want you to lift your hand. If you need forgiveness, would you lift your hand up today? See, I need forgiveness. Just lift your hand up. I need forgiveness today. Come on, just lift it up. I need God's forgiveness on my life this morning. Thank you thank you so much yeah I need forgiveness if you need healing in your body maybe you're sick and struggling somewhere and you just need Jesus to heal you Jesus is a healer would you lift your hand and say today I need healing today I need healing come on just lift your hand up today I need healing just lift it up for a minute and hold it yeah thank you the back yep yep thank you I need healing today yeah in the very back thank you I need healing. I need Jesus to heal me maybe today you need healing inside or out maybe today you need provision I I need an answer I need a solution I need a, a resource I need a supply I need a provision today would you lift your hand and say today I need I need a provision. This is how I realize I need Jesus today. Come on, lift it up. Yeah. I need provision today. Yeah. How about this? I need freedom. There's this struggle I'm having, and I need freedom. Come on. Maybe it's freedom from fear. Maybe it's freedom from addiction. Maybe it's freedom from who knows what? From an old way of thinking. Today I need freedom. Come on, lift your hand up and say, Today I need freedom. I need freedom. Maybe you say, you know what? I've been suffering, and today I need comfort. I need Jesus' comforting, loving presence. Would you lift your hand up and say, I need need comfort. I need Jesus' comforting presence. Here's what I'm going to do. Wherever you recognize you need Jesus, what I'm inviting you to do today is come to the well come to the right well there's living water there's springs of living water and if you drink from it you won't get thirsty again. you keep drinking from it and keep drinking from it and it satisfies and quenches down in the deepest level Jesus is in the room today and he wants to touch your life that I know whatever your need is I'm going to begin to pray and as I begin to pray, if you lifted your hand and you, you recognize your need of Jesus somewhere. I want you to come and let the, worship, let the prayer team begin to pray for you. And let's just take that need. Let's bring that thing to the right well today. Let's bring that thing to the right well. That's the only requirement. There isn't another one. You don't have to, you don't have, to have anything in order. You don't have to be right about anything. Just come to the right well And let Jesus touch you so as I begin to pray would you come now and meet with our prayer team Lord I thank you today that you are in the house Lord I thank you today that on a on a sleepy little time change Sunday you are here in person and present and power to touch and minister and strengthen you are here to set free and to deliver and forgive and heal and restore and God, I pray today that as we drink from the well, there would come rivers of living water that would flow through this place. Lord, minister now. Come on. You lifted your hand. I want you to come right now. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you to come right now. Come peace, right now. Bring it all. Let the to presence peace, of God let the, the power of surrounding Jesus, me, touch your life. Let it break. Lord, we love you. At your name. Call the seas. On the balcony. Tell me you lifted your hand in the back. Come on. come on today. Just come to the right well. We're not going to embarrass you. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We just want to pray for you. Jesus. Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus. Come on, just say those words. silence Jesus. Jesus